You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. I'm Caroline Hyde at Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York. And I'm at Ludlow in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology, a new time, a new era for this show, Caroline. The news continues. U.S. technology, a sigh of relief as the U.S. backstops depositors. But we are very worried about ongoing risk. The contagion risk. This is a new era for our show. It is a new era for technology. The startups, the VCs writ large as we see potentially the ongoing spiraling. Let's keep talking about what's coming up in the next hour, Ed. How Silicon Valley spawned a bank crisis. The impact on startups, investors, regulators and the lenders still fighting for their reputations. President Biden vows to hold banks responsible, urging Congress for tougher regulation on the banking industry. And the UK arm of SVB gets bought for one pound. We bring you the sprawling global gyrations from London to Beijing to Mumbai. But first, let's check in on those markets that, yes, Ed, breathe a sigh of relief here in the United States, but not so worldwide. We are still worried about that contagion risk when you're looking at the equity front. FTSE 100 off by more than two percentage points. The euro stocks off by more than two percent. And we are seeing the US, though, spring back as we start to think maybe the Federal Reserve will have to pause its hiking cycle. We therefore see the dollar wiping out all of its gains for the year. We see the dollar index off by eight-tenths of a percent. I'm looking at sovereign bonds, the bid, the flight to safety, and the unraveling of where we thought interest rates were going to go. A two-year yield on the U.S. down 38 basis points, the most we've seen since the 1980s in terms of a move. Let's overall have a look at what's happening in the world of crypto. We've got to look at the key asset that is just absolutely having a field day, up 12.5%. But remember the pain trade that we saw back on Friday, the worries around crypto, and indeed, this is a story of dollar weakness too. Yeah, individual movers. We've actually turned a big corner. These are the names most exposed to SVB in terms of deposited in publicly traded tech companies. Markedly lower at the open, we have turned a corner. There's this narrative around one and done with the Fed, which is really boosting the tech sector, along with dip buying. Number of these names turning the corner. Change the board, though, and let's go straight to the banks. There is contagion concern. A number of regional banks have been halted. We are seeing record declines across First Republic, for example. Western Alliance also down very big. How much of the concern around SVP and depositor flight still applies to these names as regulators assess the health of this industry. For the latest, bring in Bloomberg's Shanali Basak, who's on top of this story for us. Shanali, what is the latest with this sector? There's a few things to think about here, Ed, and if you think about it, how many people in Silicon Valley had banked with uh, the likes of Silicon Valley Bank and then moved their money to, say, First Republic? And then they're worried also about the other regional banks in the sector, Western Alliance, based in Phoenix, Arizona, PacWest, based 
based in Los Angeles. There's general worries about their banks close to home, especially after some money has moved there very, very recently. I would also say that there are other people who see this as an opportunity to mm -hmm. attract more clients. I would take a look at this tweet over the weekend from Anthony Noto, who had said, use his link to sign up and you'll get a $25 bonus and up to $250, $250 when you sign up for a direct deposit. So we're going to talk a lot more, I know, about the companies here that even in the sell-off are coming to seek a position of strength versus the ones that maybe have a little further to go here mm -hmm. when it comes to the troubles facing the banking sector. Well said, Shanani Bassett. You're going to be sticking with us, I'm pleased to say. Let's add FinTech Partners founder, CEO, and managing partner, Steve McLaughlin. He's with us. He's a former head of Goldman's Global Financial Technology Group, joining us for the conversation. And wow, I mean, Steve, talk to us, before we get onto the silver linings of who benefits in this scenario, just talk to us about how much the earth shook for VCs tech. The overall counterparty risk was enormous and no one seemed to realize. Yeah, I think this sudden uh, element of this is what hit everybody so, so hard. And I think, uh, I don't know how many years of life were taken off everyone over the weekend, but there were people uh, super, super stressed out, you know, getting from not just big businesses, but SMBs and, and clients of the, of, of the firm, uh, not our firm, but SVB. Um, but it really, I think, woke people up to the big problem you know, out there. There's so much risk on a few big banks in Silicon Valley that it really, uh, it, it really just shook everybody up. And at the end of the day, I think you're seeing the ripple effects happen and it, you're, you're right in the middle of it. So I think the probably questions are going to be, you know, how deep is this going to go? But we're still in the middle of it. We're still in the middle of it. And the reality is you have spent so many years here helping firms become unicorns through raising money. You've worked with their venture capitalists. Is there a sense that the capital markets are now closing up for the people who had such easy access to money for the last 10 years? Well, I wouldn't say they're closing up, but um, I would say this isn't helpful. And given that we're right in the middle of it, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty painful for I think, a lot of tech companies across the world. Uh, I think the fact the Fed came out and did what they did was incredibly uh, uh, helpful and expected to some extent over the weekend. But uh, capital was pretty hard to find before this. Mm -hmm. And um, so right now, we're getting hundreds of calls from companies looking for, whether it's credit, I saw you know, Bain on this morning of talking about credit funds and, and structured securities and, and all that. But you, you see some of the big guys that wrote all the checks leading up to the big boom in tech and FinTech, you know, Tiger, D1, uh, code to really kind of pulling back on their private investments and looking at their portfolio companies or shifting to public markets. Steve, you run an advisory that's at the heart of all these transactions, right? When the venture capitalists wrote their letter of support for SVB, they pointed out that it's not just a place that holds deposits for this sector. It offers a wide range of, of banking services where no one else would. So now where does this industry turn to? Where do the founders go when they need banking services and traditional banks don't offer them? Yeah, you're right. It was, it was not just a place where you stored your money. It was where all the money got transferred. They were doing payments. They were doing treasury management. They were doing wealth management, investment banking, you name it. And a lot of companies were essentially running their business off of SVB, not just essentially putting their deposits there. You know, I think... Um, you know, it's interesting to hear SoFi and, and other fintechs who we know are, are, you know, have their hands out to essentially take deposits and help people out, but that's just one small sliver. The economy in the fintech universe is extremely strong, and I think there's going to be places for people to go. We were on the phone all week on ourselves and with different clients, helping them get op open up accounts at JP Morgan and other large banks, institutions, mm -hmm. um, and that was happening all weekend. And 
I have to say, in talking to some of the, the bankers that were taking those funds in, that a lot of them were extremely gracious about, about the situation and not trying to sort of fearmonger on it. Yeah. Uh, so I think a lot of support around the banking system for each other. From systemically important institutions such as JP Morgan, such as Bank America, but what about Mercury, Brex, Capital? What about some of the neobanks? How much are we going to see these companies supported with in influx of cash or more worries around them? I think the good news is the, the bigger and better of those firms raised so much capital um, over the last couple of years. Companies like Revolut in Europe raised a billion, 250 from us, for example, and are you know, growing like a weed and making lots of money. So some of these banks are very well healed and, and don't actually have risky assets on their balance sheet like some of the larger banks. So in a weird way, uh, some of the largest banks in the country are more risky than some of the neobanks. So um, we're very bullish on, on all things or most things fintech, I would say. But uh, I think this is a great opportunity for fintech to shine. I'm so interested, though. You mentioned kind of helping your clients move money into places like J.P. Morgan. There was a lot of chatter online, especially with the VC community, about this idea that you're systemically important and then you're everybody else. And I'm wondering, has the psychology changed now that the Fed has stepped in, that the FDIC has stepped in the way they did and said, you're, you're safe no matter what? Does that mean that there will still be uh, an embracing of these regional banking partners, or is there still that fear, given what we've seen at Silicon Valley Bank? I mean, there's been a 20-year trend towards bank mergers and lesser and lesser banks um, in the country. And that's how I sort of built my career up at Goldman Sachs doing a lot of bank mergers. But um, I would say uh, I don't think we're going to move to a system like Canada where there's like six major banks and then nothing else. I think it could be a slow movement towards that because I don't think you really necessarily need as many banks as we have. Hmm. Um, but I also think there's a huge place for the fintech institutions that are coming on the scene and solving some of these problems and using some of the very largest banks. So they got a layer on top of the largest banks. You kind of the best of both worlds. Steve, I want to bring some breaking news just crossing the Bloomberg terminal. Bloomberg is reporting, citing officials familiar with the matter, that the European Central Bank's plans for big interest rate hikes in the weeks to come are going to meet more opposition now, right? Dovish policymakers are likely to make the point that because of what's happened with Silicon Valley Bank, the economic picture has shifted, not just here in North America, but in Europe as well. Similar to what we're seeing in the market and reflecting in terms of, of, of their bets on the Fed. How much has the economic picture shifted into your mind as a result of what's happened in the past five days? I think the biggest thing is people are realizing that the blunt instrument of just increasing interest rates isn't always good for, uh, for, for the overall macro economy, right? So uh, it's, it's great for certain elements of the world and it's helpful for inflation, but it also has its ripple effect. So and it's, hitting, um, it's hitting Europe just as much as it is here. You know, at least uh, they got sold for a dollar. We can't even get SVB sold in the U.S. for anything, so, um, that's, which is a shame. So I, I think the uh, ripple effects are... are are happening and they're, I think like I said we're right in the middle of it there could be more you know issues I want to switch gears a little bit because to folks that are trading every day in the market, maybe they're not always focused on crypto, but for the crypto community, they had three banks that were friendly to them just evaporate within five days, essentially. So I'm wondering what that means. There's this concern that the access to the financial system has been cut off for the crypto community. Yet you're seeing Bitcoin up quite meaningfully. What's going on? Yeah, I find it um, you know, quite interesting to see that you know, most of the tech IPOs are down 50 60%, and Bitcoin was down way less than that now it's back up whereas these stocks continue to fall crypto and bitcoin are going up so you know long live crypto and um, at the end of the day blockchain's here to stay um, i do think that uh, the sec and the government does appear to be having a very very negative crackdown on crypto um, in the u.s and globally and so um 
you know, the knockdown of some of these institutions certainly is not helpful. And so they're really forcing a lot of this activity to go offshore. We have a lot of clients in blockchain and crypto, and a lot of them are offshore mm. uh, from day one. And they're seeking banking partners offshore. We're looking at interest in Swiss banks, in, in Middle Eastern banks at the moment, because there aren't the Silvergates, the Signatures, exactly. the SVBs anymore exactly. in the US. Ultimately, was there a question really about stable coins here too? We saw the tumult surrounding USDC, a DeFi that had to rely on TradFi ultimately because that's where Circle had parked a load of its money, its collateral. Yeah, I think there's tremendous value in Circle and USDC and in some of the stablecoin you know, operations, which is why we're such a big fan of it. But I think at the end of the day, these institutions should be diversifying that risk mm -hmm. um, dramatically, right? To put you know so much of it in one place, you know, may or may not be the best idea. I think, thank God, it got it got uh, rescued by the government, but it definitely put a scare into people and broke the the USDC buck, if you will. But yeah. All right, FinTech Partners founder, CEO, and managing partner Steve McCoughlin and Bloomberg Shnali Basak, of course. Thank you. Americans can rest assured that our banking system is safe. Your deposits are safe. Let me also assure you, we will not stop at this. We'll do whatever is needed. I'm going to ask Congress and the banking regulators to strengthen the rules for banks to make it less likely this kind of bank failure would happen again and to protect American jobs and small businesses. Some of President Biden earlier this morning. For more on the government response, Bloomberg's Jordan Fabian joins us from the D.C. Bureau. Jordan, how are the White House framing this one? Well, Ed, they're framing this as uh, an opportunity for President Biden to push for new, new regulations on banks. Basically, he's framing it as you know, management, uh, mismanagement at those, at those banks, uh, SVB and, and Signature, and what's needed is new regulation. He, in, in fact, he pointed to uh, Republican efforts that were successful to roll back some requirements under the Dodd-Frank law that he wants to see uh, basically returned and, and, and re-implemented. Uh, that's going to be difficult for him to accomplish, but that's a challenge he set for himself and his administration right. earlier today. And Caro, I've been seeing this word on Twitter, bailout or no bailout. How do you frame it? You know, that's really a question in the market this morning. And I don't know about you, Ed, but I was listening to countless podcasts on the phone with many people. And there was this worry that how are you going to frame a bailout of what seems to be billionaires? Silicon Valley right. in the world, a Silicon Valley yes. bank. Jordan, to that end, how much has we seen from the administration, from regulators, this desire to not frame it of a bailout of investors, but of course, just of depositors? That was a huge desire. That was a central part of the president's message in his speech this morning. He said taxpayers aren't you know, paying for this. I mean, we could debate the semantics of that, but he was sure to stress that and that the management of these banks are going to be fired. So uh, really, uh, it's a, sort of a populist message, if you will, saying, look, the little guy is not going to pay for this. Management is going to be held accountable. And uh, with these reg uh, emergency steps that regulators took over the weekend, that small businesses and depositors are going to be able to access their money. The president going to Congress on big banking regulation. How do you package that up? It's going to be a tough challenge, Ed. Uh, the uh, House is, of course, controlled by Republicans. Many of the same Republicans who voted in 2018 
to exempt small and mid-sized banks from things like capital requirements, lending restrictions that were in that Dodd-Frank law. So asking them to, again, to basically go back on what they just did five years ago is going to be a tough challenge. Now, he can see what he can do through executive order, executive action, but he might be limited there, and that also leaves him vulnerable to legal challenges to anything he does on his own. What I think to add to the sort of extraordinary nature of all of this, the seizing of Signature Bank over the course of the weekend and the sort of support there that many would say took the management itself, the board by surprise, notably on the board of that very bank is none other than one of the people who helped co-write Dodd-Frank, Barney Frank himself, speaking to Bloomberg a little bit earlier, Jordan. I think ultimately, when we're thinking about new regulation, are we really thinking about the counterparty risk as well? Was the administration taken off guard by how much one particular sector depended on one particular set of banks? I think that's uh, something that was surprising to a lot of people. Uh, I don't know that the administration really saw this coming, uh, given the fact that they had to scramble over the weekend to uh, muster a response here. Uh, The administration has talked about a lot about you know the economy's resilience overall. So I don't think I don't think they anticipated that this particular problem would become such a major problem, you know, facing or prompting questions about, you know, contagion risks, et cetera. And so that's something they're now going to have to look at, especially to, you know, policymakers uh, thinking about rate hikes as well. Well said, Jordan Fabian from Bloomberg. We thank you so much. And Ed, so many people are saying, look, when you raise rates, things break. We think about the UK pension situation, but a few months ago, and the impact there. But of course, this whole scenario around Silicon Valley Bank swooped up the UK, China, India, other global startups in the concern, because this was a bank that banked to many. And we're going to talk about that just next, hey, because we're going to talk about how this affects not just DC, but London, the regulators, far and wide. And I think ultimately, Ed, I want to get your point of view of when you're contributing, when you're bringing us your analysis and your reporting, you're out there on our T-Live blog yourself helping push this conversation forward. I'm looking at the T-Live blog now, if you're lucky enough to have a terminal, talking about what the implications of the ECB. I think that the narrative is now the conversation, the economic economic picture has shifted, not just here in the United States, but in Europe. India is a name that I keep hearing about on all of the text messages I'm getting. Yeah. Startups face a lot of hardship right now. We've got to get into it. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice, or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, 
the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. There is a serious risk to some of our most promising companies in technology uh, and life sciences. You're going to have to wait and hear what the solution is, but that risk is precisely why the Prime Minister and I have been working at pace over the weekend to make sure that we have a solution. These are very, very important companies to and the UK, a very, very important part of our future. UK Chancellor there, Jeremy Hunt, on the SVB situation across the pond after HSBC, of course, plans to buy the UK arm of Silicon Valley Bank for one pound. Bloomberg's Jenny Serene is in London with more. And many would say this is but a drop in the bucket for HSBC. What do they win out of this? Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing is just um, greater exposure to tech companies and, and having a bigger scale with that industry. Um, and of course, as you pointed out, the, the price wasn't bad. They, they really did get its first deal. Um, I think it's really important to remember um, with this uh, collapse of SVB, that it really was on the asset liability management front. It was not a credit crisis, so they weren't seeing some huge uptick in customers going bad. It was really just a, 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 you know, a failure in risk management on the asset liability side. Size and scale is kind of important here, right, Jenny? I was reading over the weekend, you know, by the end of the financial year, Silicon Valley Bank UK had $11 billion of deposits on its balance sheet. Lloyd's, by comparison, has $450 billion. But what were the problems experienced in the UK specifically? We know all about depositors here in the US, all about the pain for founders and VCs. How did things play out over in London? I mean, I think there were a lot of fears here as well. Um, you, it's hard to kind of separate if you're a customer of one of these banks. You know, it's, it's, I think a lot of the, the past few days has been just characterized by a lot of panic and fear and worries by both investors and customers alike. And, and so I think you experience a lot of the same things. And, and it'll be interesting now as, you know, HSBC acquires this, this unit of the bank and then, um, you know, obviously FDIC continues with its work in the U.S., um, how those things kind of shake out and, and how things turn out today. And, and proceed from here. I think we're hearing very vastly different experiences among different customers. You know, some are, are proceeding apace and having no problems. Others can't seem to log in. So I think um, it's, it's just a mixed bag at this point, and, and we're still really waiting to see um, where things shake out. To that end, you of course based in London at the moment, Jenny, but you are our fintech reporter extraordinaire and someone who can lay claim across the entire banking sector a little bit for us. Just talk to us about what happens ultimately with some of the, we wait for people to be able to log in to Silicon Valley Bank, but SVB and its parent company, they're trying to auction off a lot of other assets, right? There's securities parts of the business, wealth management parts of the business. How do you see that all unfolding? 
Yeah, I, so they just announced today that they formed a special committee on their board and that that committee will be in charge of that process. They're exploring options for both the securities business, which is the investment bank, um, as well as the SVB capital business, which is the VC and, and private equity uh, fund platform. And so both of those, um, you know, were completely separate from Silicon Valley Bank that, you know, obviously collapsed into FDIC receivership last week. So they're in very different places, and it'll be interesting to see what kind of bids this company might attract for those assets. Um, but just in general, I think, you know, obviously for the broader fintech community, this was a huge shock to be reliant on one player for so, so long. Um, and there will probably be a lot of questions about that concentration risk, not just among banks, but from the fintech customers themselves. Mm. Bloomberg's Jenny Serene out of London. Thank you so much for your reporting. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Caroline Hyde in New York. And let's get back to Silicon Valley Bank, of course. Let's bring in, in fact, the co-founder of the largest Latinx community in venture, VC Familia. Cheryl Campos is with us, who took to Twitter to say, the one thing this SVB run taught me is that most VCs know nothing about finance. Cheryl, what do you exactly mean? What does this sort of critique <laughs> of your own industry meant to be talking about? Well, thank you so much for having me. And this tweet took off because there was, in fact, uh, an element of truth to it. This was partially a finance problem, but at the same time, it's a human behavior problem. This was a classic example of the prisoner's dilemma and everyone really acting individualistically versus collectively in the venture ecosystem. And so Silicon Valley Bank, quite frankly, was the partner of a lot of different players here. They were the first check-in in a lot of different initiatives. They were the first bank accounts of many founders. Uh, they also took things personally as well. They built deep relationships with people, even giving out personal loans, uh, mortgages, uh, lines of credit for GP commits. And so that is something that I think that the ecosystem as a whole, if we had uh, worked together, um, are going to be in severe um, crisis right now because there's going to be a significant gap in the market mm -hmm. in terms of both access to capital and leadership. And so that is what communities like ours, the VC Familiar, are trying to do. Let's talk about your community because I believe when I look on La Familia's website, it was partners like Silicon Valley Bank that helped fund you to help continue to drive the pipeline, the conversation, the network. What do you do when Silicon Valley Bank has to pull back and of course disappears in terms of a player, an infrastructure? 100%. So Silicon Valley Bank was our founding sponsor. They were the ones that gave us our first check when we were just at the idea stage because they were the person that take on the most risk when it comes to um, funding things at the idea stage. And so they really took a chance to make this ecosystem better as a whole. And so we really wanted to partner with a bank that was mission aligned. They saw the vision, they saw what we were trying to create, and that's what we do. We took and used their support in order to build pipelines, right? We were helping everyone break into venture and also build their own startups. We helped them as well with their professional development and rising up the ranks. And last but not least, we actually helped them raise capital for their own uh, funds. And so that, I think, is one of the key things that will be missing, right, is that first check-in that will allow people to um, take these initiatives and make the ecosystem better. And so, yes, we were exposed to SVB because we were their banking partner, and I think that's something that I, as an investor, as a founder, 
was also really cognizant of because I have 20 portfolio companies. I have other founders that are reaching out to me. And so both as a founder, as an investor, I can clearly support using my own personal experience as well as uh, the community as a whole. Cheryl, talk to me about the last 48 hours, including this morning. Silicon Valley Bank has technically opened its doors in the last 30 minutes here in California. What have you had to do to help founders make payroll? Have you had to move money around? Have you had to make deals with co-investing partners and other VCs? Mm -hmm. So, I mean... We all had a collective sigh of relief yesterday, right, when we saw that the government was going to step in there and, and make sure that deposits were whole. Um, so we did, our money is safe, right, but the loss really is around losing Silicon Valley Bank as a partner and as a leader in this space. And so uh, I think that that has allowed for founders and including communities like ourselves, really go back to the basics, right, of our strategy, making sure that, you know, when times are tough, these are times where you know what people are made out of. And so going back to the fundamentals, supporting people with their payroll, supporting people with their strategies, and, and bringing, scaling things a little bit back to figure out how other things play out. We see this morning that First Republic and others potentially are at risk. And so rocky times are far from over. But I've seen this before. I, have, uh, I was an executive at Republic, which is a startup that reached unicorn status, and I had my fair share of rocky times through COVID, through right. Roy Floyd. And so the biggest lesson that we can learn here is that when there's times of chaos, it's times of opportunity. And so by going back to basics and understanding how, where your position is right now, you're able to then take advantage of these um, uh, chances. If you go back six days before Silicon Valley Bank tried to issue shares and raise more money, before we knew what had happened, it seems like times are really hard for startups anyway. <laughs> yes. Has the last five days actually just masked what is a much bigger ongoing problem, cash burn and a lack of access to capital? Um, I don't think anybody saw this coming right before um, you know Wednesday or even Thursday, and I think that was something where we saw a lot of founders are going to get hit by this negatively, but I'd like to also state that diverse founders in particular weren't even getting access to capital in the first place when capital was good and times were flush, right? Um, we actually issued a statement last year with a couple of other Latino organizations because even though it was the largest venture capital funding uh, year to date, uh, Latinos only got 1.2% of all of that. And so that is where we see that even when times are good, we're not getting enough money. And then diverse founders in particular will continue to have less access to capital. And so that's where that access and leadership that SVB played in this uh, ecosystem will be missed. And that's why uh, we're banding together with Allraise, Black VC, Gold House, and a couple other communities as well to show a united front. Our motto is La Unión a la Fuerza, which means strength and unity. And so we really want to make sure that we're there for our communities. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing that message with us. VC Familia founder and investor Cheryl Campos, thank you. Now, coming up, we'll hear from VCs who banded together in support of Silicon Valley Bank. General Catalyst CEO Hemon Teneja joins us next for more on that discussion. Caroline. And the point also, Ed, about Silicon Valley Bank, many were worried about, of course, relationships, not just private companies still, but those that did go public. They remain very intertwined in terms of their banking relationships, and we got that feeding of the information as we went after the bell on Friday. I look at Roku, now down seven-tenths of a percent. It had more than 500, almost $500 million of cash with Silicon Valley Bank. It now has access, of course. We're seeing Roku just down that little bit. Look at what happens with Roblox. 5% of its cash have been with Silicon Valley Bank. Ties of Rocket Labs as well. It's off under pressure today. Look at the bounce back in one particular Canadian company, an ad tech company, that said it had 90% of its cash with Silicon Valley Bank.
That's all. Let's get more on the VC community in a moment. There's a Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher-level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. It's been incredible chaos. <laughs> so my phone has been blowing up. The people that are going to be the most affected here are early and mid-stage companies, uh, more so than late-stage companies. Venture capitalists like to run around saying they provide value. Well, this is the time to provide value to your portfolio companies. Long-term, events like this are massively bullish for the crypto complex. The San Francisco Fed should have been on top of what was going on. The bank's explosive growth, and now it's very quick failure. That was some of our guests' reaction to the SVB fallout as it was unraveling late last week. Let's get the take of another VC, and not just any VC, actually. General Catalyst, which led hundreds of VC firms to band together over the weekend in support of Silicon Valley Bank. CEO Emont Teneja joins us now. I think I'm right in saying there are now 600 signatories. Over 600. Over 600 to your effort. You still want to do business with whatever Silicon Valley Bank ends up being. What are you hearing about how likely that is? Absolutely. I think it's really important that Silicon Valley in this next incarnation does continue to survive and thrive. Uh, what There are uh, conversations being had with some banks. Obviously, it's, uh, it's unclear if there's a deal that has been made yet. There are some private investors that are looking at potentially investing in the bank and recapitalizing as well. And I really hope a deal comes together so the bank can be a going concern. I I know in the conversations I've had, there are signatories to your letter, people backing your initiative to to keep Silicon Valley Bank alive, do business with it, but who are also telling portfolio companies to pull money um, for whatever reason. How do you... Yeah, so look, Thursday morning, 
when the news got out that the bank might be at risk, every investor was getting contacted by their fund on what to do. And your fiduciary responsibility is to say, yeah, even though the bank, uh, the risk is low that the bank would go under, probably safe to pull money out. When we started hearing that multiple times is when we convened the leaders of some of the larger venture firms to say, hey, this is a prisoner's dilemma situation where on our own, everybody's going to give the same guidance, but that's not the right thing for the collective because while some startups may be able to take their money out, others will be left and the bank will be uh, in a precarious position. And so that is what we tried to stop. But as you know, in a digital age, a run on a bank can happen very fast. So within a few hours, it was too late. And by the time we got our group together, the FDIC had already stepped in. Now, of course, regulators support depositors, Hemant, but there's still a lot of stress because equity holders, bondholders are not protected. We're looking at the fallout in terms of share price from First Republic, for example, which does also have ties with the startup community. Are you still having to talk to your portfolio companies about diversification of their treasury? Absolutely. First of all, I, I have to say um, the government stepped in here in exactly the right way and exactly the right time. Had they not done that, this truly would have been a contagion. I think things are in a very stable uh, place now. And the, uh, the advice uh, we are giving our portfolio companies, first and foremost, has been let's make sure we have business continuity. And uh, we are, you know, payrolls being met and the operations are there. The employees are comfortable that they're going to get paid this week. And then we are saying we need to think about diversification, not just for them, for yeah. for venture firms too. We were all uh, just so used to relying on SVB as, a, uh, as our bank. You say the government did exactly what it should have done. Now, many would say, yes, they do need to step in to help depositors. But what then of basically being a bailout to venture capital firms in and of themselves. Is there nothing you could have done specifically as a grouping to support the bank? This is not a venture capital bailout, uh, first and foremost. I, I do think we could have done things. And in fact, over the weekend, all the firms, including us, we had put together plans to lend capital from our balance sheets uh, to help these companies make payroll. Right. I, you know, I think that would have at least uh, avoided the crisis for a couple of weeks while the right uh, uh, you know, solutions were in place. But this all happened so fast that, honestly, if the Fed hadn't stepped in and, and, and guaranteed these deposits, uh, it would have been very difficult. The payroll's being made now. Payroll's being made now. Uh, you know, the site, from the last I heard, the SVB site had started processing, then it was down because there were so many right. folks checking, but, but it's in motion now. What's the net result of all of this? Funding was already hard to come by five days ago. Did deal counts drop? Listen, we approved the deal on Saturday. Just to give you a sense, in the middle of all this, a, deal a, a new investment on Saturday. So I, I will say, look, this, is a, this was a very serious situation. Hopefully we'll get this averted soon. I don't think this has a material impact on what happens in terms of the venture capital business. I mean, five days ago, if you recall, we were all very excited about what's happening with AI and is that the beginning of the new cycle, just like social and cloud was 15 years ago. And I think those trends are there. So the entrepreneurial activity, I do think, is very strong and yeah. it's going to continue to be strong. Herman, there's been what's... Uh, plenty of worry and hand-wringing about VC funds going under. Have your LPs been willing to be helping other LPs stepping in, backing VC funds to make those payroll lending that you said, the support there? And ultimately, will you still see money going into the VC community? Absolutely. I, I don't think this will impact the capitalization of the venture capital community. I, don't, I think this is... Uh, this is 
at the end of the day, a bank that wasn't, didn't have the risk management in place for a really fast interest rate rising environment. And uh, again, the, the failure around that has been managed. And I don't think this is going to impact the venture capital firms or uh, the investment uh, pacing that's that is currently happening in the, in the industry. Optimism coming from Hemant Tanasia. Thank you so much, General Catalyst CEO. Great to have you coming and joining us. We'll let you get back to your portfolio companies now. Rising interest rates are good for banks, until they aren't. That's what we're seeing with the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and sell-off in other bank stocks. Here's the backdrop. Higher rates increase the profitability of a bank's main business, which is to pay lower rates on deposits than they charge for extending loans. But when the Federal Reserve plows ahead with nonstop interest rate increases, like it's done over the past year, problems start cropping up quickly. Silicon Valley Bank got hit with a one-two punch. Number one, its customers, a lot of startups, were burning through more cash because it got harder for them to get funding. VC firms are no longer throwing their money around. And when your customers need cash, you need to have enough on hand. Banks usually park a big chunk of their money in super safe investments like treasuries and other securities. So, number two, SVB was forced to sell those investments to raise cash to meet all the withdrawals. The Fed's rate hikes have pushed bond prices lower, which meant SVB sold its securities at a loss. The total loss? $1.8 billion. When SVB announced the loss, other startups got scared and started pulling their money out. It was an old-fashioned run on the bank. Big banks may end up the winner here. After the great financial crisis, the government imposed all kinds of capital rules on banks that it deemed too big to fail, meaning JP Morgan Chase, Bank of America, and their peers are required to have a lot more cash on hand to meet potential withdrawals. They even have to ask permission to pay dividends to shareholders. And now many of those startups are playing it safe by diversifying where they put their money and opening accounts at the big banks. That's how it started. How's it going? Max Ray's with a recap. The busiest man over this weekend. And still, for me, the key concern has got to be the fact that share prices are still down hard at some of the competitors, even though many analysts would say there is nothing exactly out there like Silicon Valley Bank. Yeah, I would say the fundamental question at this point is one of sentiment. Obviously, the Fed and other regulators moved to reassure depositors, right? Not even investors, but depositors. They lined up this new liquidity facility. They made it easier and less expensive, essentially, for banks to borrow from their discount window, the lender of last resort, right? But it's still unclear of whether or not that has managed to calm people down. It certainly hasn't calmed down investors, and I don't think we can yet say if it's calmed down depositors. We find ourselves once again in a situation where there are more questions than answers, particularly is there a buyer that's going to come in for SVB? What's happening with Signature? First Republic's response is pretty dramatic, even though it was so vocal about the strength, as it put it, of its liquidity position. Why is there still so much angst out there, Max, from the equity market reaction alone? I think the fundamental issue is that Fed policy is still in place when it comes to interest rates. So even with these backstops, even with these countermeasures, people are still worried this problem will persist. I honestly can't say, though. I mean, again, when it comes to banking, the number one thing is confidence, right, and sentiment. And if both of those things are, are down just because you have these kind of back-to-back -back bank closures and failures, I, I think it's hard to win over hearts and minds.
Max, what are we hearing about Silicon Valley Bank and depositors' access to their cash this morning? It, it sounds mixed from what I saw in our reporting. I unfortunately have not been as close to that as some of our tech reporters have been doing, you know, a real bang-up job. Uh, apparently, they are able to get access to it, right? And that was kind of the promise made. Depo- to, sorry, depositors would be made whole. They'd be given access. And we are seeing that, though apparently there have been some hiccups. But again, I think the regulators have moved to give people access to their deposits, to fully backstop them. And that's, I think, what we're seeing play out this Monday morning. And Max, ultimately, this came down to a massive counterparty risk that people hadn't quite factored in in one sector. Will regulation change, do you think? Because the administration promises it about banks, for example. The big, the big question, I think, is whether or not we'll see some kind of rollback or alteration to Trump-era moves that made it essentially less cumbersome, less burdensome on regional banks when it comes to capital requirements, when it comes to compliance requirements, whether or not we we see a push to move away from that, to put in new regulations for those banks around capital is the question. I I don't have the answers on that, unfortunately, but I I think it would make sense to see some level of movement on that out of D.C. Bloomberg's Max Ray is one of the busiest people I know in the last 48 hours, tracking down every angle, Caroline, from the Bloomberg newsroom. And what an extraordinary day to have our first edition of the 12 p.m. New York, 9 a.m. Pacific time Bloomberg technology. Tune in tomorrow, Ed. We've got so much more to come, thick and fast. We've got Trey Stevens, partner of Founders Fund, no less, joining this program. Just a key, key conversation as someone that knows the Valley well. Don't forget, so much to recap on the podcast. You can get it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, of course, on Bloomberg.com as well, wherever you get your podcasts. Day one, done, Caroline, but a lot of questions remain of what's happening in global technology. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.